Hi, I'm Jeff Ebert. Welcome to my podcast, Gospel Wabi Sabi, God's Good News for Imperfect People. Uh, If you've been following along, you know that we are looking at the life and teachings of Jesus through the lens of the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 10 today, starting with verse 22, going to finish off chapter 10 on the theme of I and the Father are one. This is season one, episode 29. So welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, Just want to remind you, if you're a supporter of this uh, podcast, we have a Wabi Sabi Sunday night coming up this Sunday night, the 15th. May 15th, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll be sending out a a Zoom login for all the uh, folks who are supporters of the podcast, and we'll have an opportunity to meet online and talk about Jesus the controversialist and look at the way the Gospel of John presents him and what impact that might have on our way of understanding how to witness in our culture today. So if you want to find out more about becoming a a podcast supporter, you can just look in the program notes and it'll direct you to how you can do that. For a man who preached about God's love and forgiveness, Jesus sure stirred up a lot of controversy and heated feelings. And he is still doing so today. And here in the Gospel of John, we've been looking at both Jesus' words and his works. And it's easy to see that what got Jesus into trouble the most were his words, not his works. His words, powerful words, challenging words, life-changing words, because the number one thing Jesus taught was not be nice to each other. His number one topic was his own identity, his own person. I happened to see a little clip on Elon Musk this past week uh, from a while ago where he talked about what he believed about Jesus and how he really liked what Jesus had to say about love your neighbor and, and all the rest. And I thought, okay, Elon, you haven't really read the Gospel of John because you're just cherry picking the easy parts. These are the hard parts of what Jesus had to say. And people really have to deal with what Jesus said about his own person, his own power, his own authority. Because those who could not accept his claims didn't say live and let live. They decided he was a dangerous man. And you know what? They were right. You can't encounter the real Jesus without being shaken to your core. You're either going to be brought to your knees in loving gratitude or and submission, or your heart is going to be hardened by self-deceit or irrational anger. So we're going to look into our text again this morning, John chapter 10, starting with verse 22. Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? 
If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. And here he stayed, and many people came to him. And they said, Through John, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man is true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. story of Jesus's journey to the cross begins to accelerate now. The conflict continues, but the pace picks up tempo as Jesus moves purposefully towards Jerusalem. We've been looking at a long debate that Jesus has had with his critics throughout chapters 8, 9, and 10. And now in verse 22, John skips ahead three months to another tense conversation between Jesus and his detractors. This previous conflict was during the Feast of Tabernacles, now the time has moved into what is called the Feast of Dedication. Today, that Jewish celebration is called Hanukkah. It's a holiday that honors the military victory of Jewish rebels in the second century BC. But as this conversation, uh, but as of this conversation, they were now a conquered people again. So you can imagine the feelings generated in the crowd about being under Roman occupation while celebrating a time when they overthrew their oppressors. There's some real tension in the air. So Jesus is walking in the great temple in which is Solomon's porch with its massive 40 feet tall pillars, a place where rabbis would come to teach. The people kept asking the same question and they kept getting the same kind of answer. Jesus never gave them the one word answer they were looking for. Why? Because they had a completely different understanding of who the Messiah was to be. They were looking for a purely political and military leader who would kick the Romans all the way back to the boot of Italy. They wanted a Messiah who would reestablish a throne in Israel and recapture the former glory of their nation. Jesus had a different view of himself as the Messiah, and he had a broader view of the kingdom of God than they did. God's kingdom was for all people, not just the nation of Israel. And the answer he gives them is that they are not really believers at all. I mean, to call the Pharisees unbelievers, that takes some guts. And then to make this powerful claim, I and the Father are one, one essence, one being, one unity. His enemies, they just can't take it anymore. That's all the answer they need. It's crystal clear to them now. It's blasphemy. They pick up stones. How many times have they picked up stones to go after Jesus? They're ready to let them fly this time. But within this tense, sharp, dangerous conflict, Jesus says some very beautiful things. He gives us a couple of characteristics of his true followers, his sheep, his fold. And we talked a little bit about that last week, last time. Characteristics of the followers of Jesus, not just back then in ancient Palestine, but for all times and all places, all around the world. He says four very important things that characterize his true followers. First, they listen to his word, to his voice. This is one of the essential characteristics of a follower of Jesus. 
Seven times in this chapter, he has said, my sheep hear my voice. Seven times. I think that means he's trying to get through to us how important this is. How many times do I have to say it? Don't you get it? If you don't hear me, if you don't listen to me, you're not my disciple. Jesus is describing a unique relationship where we as his followers can actually enter into a real personal uh, relationship with the God of the universe, a relationship of love and intimacy. God actively involved in our daily experience with a sense of connection, uh, an energy, a presence, a power, a guidance from him, a relationship where we hear him, where we recognize his leading and respond to him, not necessarily an audible voice, but through the power of prayer, we have a connection that is just as real to us as any conversation we might have with a loved one or a friend. This being able to hear God's voice is such a wonderful part of the experience of knowing Christ. And it's terribly unfortunate that there are so many people who call themselves Christians who don't experience this kind of intimacy with God. U.S. News and World Report once did a survey of those who self-identify as Christians in the U.S. and they were asked, in general, how often would you say you have experienced God's presence or a spiritual force that felt very close to you? They replied, never, 10%, once or twice, 17%, several times, 23%, many times, 49%. Now, I'm thankful for the 49% who responded many times, but to think that over 50% of people who claim to be Christians don't really know Christ's voice and his power in their regular experience, I mean, that's like buying a brand new 10,000 high-definition home theater system, but you end up buying $5 speakers. You know, they are missing out on so much. If we are followers of Christ, then we've got to tune our ears to hear his voice. In the cacophony of all the noise that fills our daily lives, we have to listen for the voice of the Good Shepherd. There is so much noise out there that obscures the voice of Christ, so much internal noise, so many other influences out there that take people in the wrong direction. And Christians, we are no different. So many voices that lead us away from Scripture and from this personal kind of listening for the Lord to speak to our hearts. It's like the child who was told by his father during a symphony orchestra concert, listen for the flutes in the song. Don't they sound beautiful? And the child looks up at his father with a puzzled look and says, what's a flute? The child first needs to learn what flutes should sound like on their own, separate from the whole orchestra, before he's able to hear them in a symphony. So it is with us as children of God. We tune into the voice of the Lord in primarily two ways, time alone in private prayer and time spent studying and meditating on the Word of God. It never gets more complicated than that. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably heard this before, time alone in private prayer and time with Scripture. Those are the essentials. We will never get past them. We will never outgrow them. We never will surpass them. Unless we take time to hear his voice in the quiet moments of life, we will not be able to hear him when the symphony starts to play. It takes 10 or 15 minutes at the beginning, middle, or end of your day to orient your mind towards the Lord. Without it, you're just going to have a hard time hearing his voice throughout the rest of the day. Fight for that time, friends. You have to. The main battle is always against our lazy selves. I mean, that's true for me. We grow complacent. We neglect our spiritual disciplines. We muffle the voice of Christ. Time alone in prayer, there is just no substitute for that. And time in the Bible. God speaks so directly to us. 
Ever held a baby up to the front of a up to a, in front of a mirror? The baby moves, the reflection moves. The baby waves, the reflection waves. Suddenly, the child's face lights up when he or she realizes, "Hey, that's me." That's what happens so often when you're reading the Bible. You pick it up. It's black print on white paper, telling stories from about the long ago and far away. But as you read the text, the print seems to disappear. On the pages of Scripture, you see a reflection of yourself, and you can hear the voice of the Lord speaking his truth over your life. No substitute for Scripture in your life. The book of James tells us it's a mirror we need to look into regularly. It reveals ourselves to ourselves as it also reveals Christ to us. Okay, the second characteristic that Jesus tells us of, of a true disciple is this. They follow me. True sheep will want to follow where Jesus leads. You know, there's an old hymn that says this so simply. It says, I hear my Savior calling. Take that cross and follow, follow me. Where he leads, I will follow. I will go with him, with him, all the way. I'll go with him all the way. How often have you added an unless? Unless it means moving to a new state, unless it means teaching Sunday school with a bunch of rotten kids. I'll go with him all the way unless he asks me to examine my finances. I'll go with him as long as it doesn't radically alter my business practices or my lifestyle. I'll follow along as I don't have to take seriously the plight of the poor or the people who are oppressed. You know, we put up a lot of filters in our following. We need to listen and follow. Going with him is something we do. Following Jesus has to affect our actions and our behavior. There should be some sense of sacrifice in the Christian's life, sacrificing our desires for the greater call and cause of Christ. Some way in which we live our lives differently because we follow Jesus. The mark of a Christian life is love. but That has to be a love expressed in actions, not just in theory. James also says that, you know, don't just look into the mirror, do what it says. James reminds us that faith without works isn't really faith at all. It's not an either-or thing. It's both and. It's faith expressed in how we live and how we love. The third characteristic is not something we do. It's something we receive. We receive eternal life. Jesus says he gives eternal life to his followers. We'll see a greater exploration of that next time when we look at the resurrection of Lazarus. But think of it, the power of Jesus to grant eternal life. It's not something that you have to get someday. We have it now. We are infused with God's divine life here and now. A quality of life that begins now with no time consequences. We will not perish. We will be with him forever. This in and of itself is one of the strongest claims to divinity that we see in Jesus' teaching. To claim that he has the power of eternal life, there's nothing bigger than that. A bold, decisive statement of divine power. Fourth, Jesus follows that up with this fourth characteristic. He says, no one will snatch them from my hands. Maybe you've gotten involved in a debate with someone over the issue. Can a person lose their salvation? Can you fall from grace? Well, in our stream of Christianity, there is what we call the Reformed Doctrine of Eternal Security, which means once saved, always saved. Christ is the one who guarantees our salvation, not how good we are at following him. Otherwise, we'd go through life very off balance, unsure. How much do I have to do wrong before I get cut off? How far can I slide before God's grace gets canceled? If we can fall from grace, 
then we're right back into some form of legalism like the Pharisees. Salvation is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not really about us. That's what grace is, something God does on your behalf. Remember those great words from the Apostle Paul in Romans 8? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen to that. That's eternal security. Christ holds us up. He's got us. Even when our grip gets weak, he holds on. That's the gospel. Jesus then gives the statement that really blows them away. He says, I and the Father are one. One essence, a unity, inextricably connected. He can't get any clearer than that, and they know it. They actually have the stones in their hands now, ready to throw. What good work are you stoning me for, Jesus says. Not your works, but your words. You claim to be God, and we don't believe you. And then at this point, he escaped. The scripture doesn't tell us how. It'd be kind of cool to be able to see, does he do a little bob and weave, or does he just kind of use a little of his mystical power and kind of just walk right away? We don't really know, but somehow he just walks right through them because they're ready to stone him to death, but they don't. And why? Well, we've talked about this before too. It's not yet his time. There's something so powerful though about him face to face to their anger and their rejection. I and the Father are one. Friends, this is really the pinnacle of the Gospel of John. From here, we're moving towards the cross. Where does Jesus go? It's very significant where he goes. In his last stop before heading to Jerusalem, verse 40, he went back to the place where he began his ministry, the place where John the Baptist announced him back to the beginning. There's something significant about going back to the places that are very special in our lives. Places of origin, the, the home you grew up in, the place where you met God, where you met your spouse, the special place that means something to you. Where is that somewhere special to you? An old house you lived in? Jesus is going back. He had a need to go back to his home. He recognized what was coming. He needed to go back and renew. He needed a time of affirmation. Back to the place of his baptism where the Holy Spirit descended upon him and a word came from heaven saying, You are my beloved son. That's where he stayed until his final trip to Jerusalem. Now, through this podcast, I hope you've heard the voice of Jesus through his word. I hope you're experiencing a word of encouragement or challenge because there are deep and, and important things happening in all of our families, in our community, in our nation, and God knows in our world. Moral confusion, war and chaos, loss and tragedy, ups and downs. We need to hear the voice of the shepherd, the calming voice of the one who knows us, knows us through and through. He knows some of us are selfish, some of us are black sheep, and he really cares for us anyway. He really cares. And when we listen, when we follow, he gives eternal life, eternal security. He is the only one whose words and works point to the bold truth that he could say, I and the Father are one. Let me just offer us a prayer for this time today. Help us, Lord, to hear that voice of the shepherd, to recognize it in the midst of all the other voices around. Regardless of where you lead, Lord, help us to follow. Give us the courage to walk in your footsteps, to go to a person and give an apology, to follow you, Lord, with our lives into a new role, a new position, a new commitment. Help us uh, pray for those sheep who cry out with a feeble cry, who are lost in fear or despair or loneliness. Reach down 
as only you can. Touch our lives and help us to be your followers. We ask this good shepherd in your name. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you.